become an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over and the insect is awake. Be afraid. Be very afraid. All right, everybody ready? Ready when you are. Yes. Let's do it. So we must not be afraid, be very afraid. Welcome, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, a Pavement Pounders podcast. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And we are the Pavement Pounders. We are running buddies who like sci-fi movies and books. And Take Me to Your Reader is the podcast where we discuss both of them. We discuss adapted science fiction at its best and worst, meaning we take usually what's a pretty well-known film that's adapted from an earlier work, and we read that earlier written work, and we watch the movies, and we watch remakes if they exist, and we talk about all of it here in just kind of a roundtable format, and that's what we're going to do today. Or re-adaptations. Yeah, I didn't mention re-adaptations, yes. Remakes, re-adaptations, reboots, um, all the re's. Re- we cover all the re's. But for this episode, we went with the well-known film is not an old one, as far as we're concerned anyway. It's from 1986, The Fly, starring Jeff Goldblum and directed by... David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg, there it is. Which is a remake, sort of readaptation of a 1957 story and a 1958 film. Yes. And so we're going to talk about all of that. We all read it. We all watched the original and the remake. <clears throat> so uh, let's start off just talking a little bit about the story. It's going to be an interesting one because, kind of spoiler alert here, the story and the first film are so close that it's really difficult to talk about one without talking about the other. And so it might be that right. we do sort of a combination, maybe talk some of the details about well, the story. Well, you can talk about the overall story, and then we can go into how it diverges between the right. 1950s Which isn't much. and the story itself. Yeah. No, just a few small details. Right. right. <laughs> so one of the interesting things, um, when we were... When I was looking for the story, for where we could find it, mm-hmm. um, you know, I found it in a book called Real Future, which is a bunch of, I mean, James, you got it too, um, a bunch of short stories that were all turned into movies. And Side note, it does have Farewell to the Master. It does, actually. That's correct. Um, it has, has a whole bunch, and we'll, we'll probably hit a lot of them. But in uh, searching for it, I actually found that it, it's in just every anthology imaginable. I looked it up on that Internet Science Fiction database that, oh, yeah. that uh, you mentioned, and actually, I could have linked that on the website. But, I mean the list is really extensive for, for where you can find the fly. Oh, um, cool. So it was originally published in 1957 in Playboy magazine. George Langlan is the author of the story, and we'll talk a little bit about what the story is about just by way of sort of introducing both it and the 1958 film. And for that, toss it over to James. All right. So the actually, the in the beginning, the only difference really is that where it takes place, right? Right. The movie takes place in Montreal, mm-hmm. right? and then the book takes place just outside of Paris. So the main main character of the story are the Andre, the professor. Is right? he the main character? I guess he's main sort characters. Of is. Main characters. Right, okay, I was gonna describe go the three main characters. So yeah, right. Andre, the wife, Helen, 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 Helene, Helene. Yes. Yes, Helene. Helene. And then uh, Francois. Yes. yes. And, and their son Henry. Uh, and their son. Okay, fine, fair enough. Their son mm-hmm. Henry, and then the also the uh, commissaire, commissaire. Connoisseur. Yes. The, the, right. the, the commissioner. The, 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 the police commissioner. The commissioner, the, 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 commissioner Gordon. There you go. Um, <laughs> the police commissioner who Inspector investigates Clouseau. the whole thing, right? right. I guess in the, in the very beginning, we, we start off with the Andre's dead, died. Right. right. And, and his wife is confessing to have killed him. Right. Well, the wife calls um, Francois, Francois in the middle yeah. of the night, like 2 a.m. or something, 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. And in, in the book, it's interesting because I thought he goes into this whole monologue in the beginning about how intrusive telephones are. Right, and, yeah. In our homes, and that that fits with some of the themes of the book and the, it and does, the original yeah. film. Well, it, it made me think, and I, I I kind of agree with him. 
and yeah. on and more of a modern even a modern technology standpoint mm -hmm. how much modern technology we have that's actually intrusive in our day-to-day -day lives so we start with that the wife is calling uh francois I, I just killed my husband i need you to call the police and have them come over right away and yeah so they go over there they investigate they see that yeah she indeed did kill the, the right. husband by crushing him in an industrial press him in an, in, an industrial iron press twice right. although yeah. at first she claims only once and the twice comes out later yeah in both instances um right and we find out that he was a scientist right we find out he was uh, andre was a scientist he had been doing some secret experiments for the air ministry of france in one case and canada in the other right and um what? no in the movie i think he does he was working for um the delam brothers no, no, he no, was. So no, he was still. They, they are the Delon brothers. They are the Delon brothers. Yeah, but that was the also Delon the name brothers. of the company, yeah. right? But um, so Francois owns the company mm -hmm. with the with, with the right. manufacturing facility there, right. and then his brother is working for the Air Ministry in both. Yeah, so his brother's working for the Air Ministry, top secret government projects and stuff, and he right. squeezes in this magic teleportation. Uh, kind don't of you mean disintegrator integrator? Disintegrator reintegrator disintegration reintegration right. process. Yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, we'll get back to that. So, and so basically, the the whole thing goes awry, and right. Well, I think most people kind of know the central conceit of the fly in any of its right. incarnations sure. is that somebody teleports himself, and a fly gets in the teleporter with him, right. and it somehow fuses them together in a strange way. And it's definitely a different take on it between between the the story and the original film. film. Well, yeah. Yeah, not so much that. Well, those two are, no, those, those two, two are those two on it's one the hand. Nineteen eighty six film, the nineteen fifty eight film, right, and then the story that. The later film is different than both previous Definitely. sources. Yeah. Well, it's it's a little more up to date in sure in the ideas of of how teleportation right. would work. Yeah, and then in, yeah. the, oh, in the nineteen eighty six film, they go in a bit into genetics and things mm -hmm. like that, which they right. didn't so, have an idea of back then. We, we didn't we didn't remind people at the outset. Of course, by the very nature of this, we we we're well, kind of have to spoil everything, spoilers, right? I mean, right. we're we're assuming that people have seen probably the nineteen eighty six film. That's the one we we had all seen before we did this. Yeah. And just the fact that the, the 58 film and the, and the story are so similar, it's going to be almost impossible not to give away almost the almost entire farm here. So right. just be prepared for that. The, the story, I mean, what is it, 30, 40, 50 pages? Uh, Tops. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's not like very long. Pages. So yeah. so if you want to read it, um, you, you can pause and read it in an hour and then come back and listen. Right. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's the way to avoid spoilers. How much more into the story do you want to go? I mean, I could talk about the whole confession. and. Uh... Was there anything that Colin well, you thought I, we missed? I think there's... That's part of the MacGuffin of the story in the movie that's interesting is that people think that Helen might have gone insane and killed her husband. Right. And so, right. you know, she gets put in the insane asylum and the brother, Francois, finally holds over her head. That he has the fly. Right. Now, she's been looking for this fly. And it's one of the reasons they think that she's crazy because she keeps looking for this fly. Yeah, she's totally fixated on it. Yeah, totally fixated on it. In, in, a, in an obsessive way almost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, I have the fly and I'm going to give it to the inspector unless you tell me the truth. Right. Well, and then at some point, doesn't right. he promise to kill it if she tells him? <clears throat> she insists that he yeah. kill it. No, you she must insists kill that he kill it. I don't think he, he never promises to kill it. The, I think the, the turning point was where the, he says, I'm going to tell the inspector anyway. And right. that's where she's like, all okay, right, fine, go get him. Fine, go get it. Yeah. I'll tell you, might as well tell you both the story. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in the movie, might as well tell you both the story. Right. In the book, it was a, a written confession to yeah. So obviously, I mean, just total spoilers here. In in the right. 1958 film and in the original in the story, some kind of weird 
accident happens in the teleportation and his mm-hmm. one arm and his head gets swapped with the fly, right? Right. And so the per- per- peculiar fly that she wants to capture, her son has actually captured, right? And she makes him release it. Right. The day that but, the accident happened, yeah. he found it. Yeah. And, and he says, I found the coolest fly. It's got a white head, you know, and, 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 and a funny leg or something. Leg. And she makes him release it. And then, of course... Later on, they have to try and find it again. But just that that notion of how does teleportation work in 1957, 1958. Right. You know, I'm not sure that there was anybody involved with the screenplay that knew anything about quantum mechanics or or, or <laughs> particle right. physics or anything like that. Um, they had some cool so, neon tubes, though. I mean, they did. Don't knock yeah. that. Did. Um, yeah. So one of the things, I guess, are, we're still talking about the story, right? Yes. yes. Or, or I don't know. It, it might be best to just transition to the film and talk about where they differ and just kind of do it all in a mishmash before we move on to the other film? I think we had to roll it through to the end. So they, they right. attempt to find the fly. They can't find the fly. The husband gives up all hope, and he's like, I can't allow anyone else to have this technology, and I, I cannot live like this. And so, wife, we have to go over to the factory, and you're going to kill me. Right. And so uh, they and we have to destroy there. the evidence, because otherwise... Someone else can have the technology yeah. and, and go through and this horrible suffering. Create Cyberdyne systems and... Yeah. Okay. So they go to the factory and she mashes his head and goes, oh no, I missed his arm and has to raise it up right. and mash his arm. Um, and that's where the story in the book begins to end because at that point... They still th- think she's nuts. Y- yeah. Right. Or a murderer. Murderess. Right. Murderess. Um, well, this, no, it's really the, this is the point where they diverge, right? The story in the book. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But what happens... What happens to the fly? I have forgotten what happens to the fly in the book. It's, it's the same ending, other, is, uh, but yeah. it's not as on screen. No, the, the, the ending is, is quite similar to what happens in the film. It's just not it's as dramatic similar, because you don't have the famous, Help me! Help me! Yeah. Which is awesome because he missed it the first time. He's sitting there on a yes. bench and he's hearing it and he could have, have saved it. Although for what purpose? Who knows? Right. Well, the bell was ringing. Well, would it, would it have even worked at that point either? No, it wouldn't because yeah. Andre was already crushed. Yes. Right. Um, oh, right. So. That's true. And also in the movie, you got the inspector is the one that squishes the fly. Right. Okay. So let, with let's... With the giant animatronic spider. So now that we've talked kind of about the plot of it, and this is where we usually would talk about what we thought of it, um, if we liked it, anything anything noteworthy. So, James, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, one of the themes that I found was noteworthy, in the story anyway, was uh, kind of uh, there's a few examples of kind of a misogynistic overtone going on. Yeah, I could see and, that. And the, the one particular one I chose was... When it was the, after after um, Helene's already discovered that something went awry in right. the discovery, and well, she knows that he's part fly now, right? I don't. Oh yeah, she does know she's part yeah. fly right now. And she's and encouraging this, this to go back. This is the point through. where he can't speak because he has a, f- a fly he's part, fl- a fly head and yeah. a fly arm, and so he's typing everything on the typewriter to give to her. Mm-hmm. And in the typewriter, or in the typewriter, he explains that there's nothing we can do to reverse this. I. Basically, right. I'm going to have to kill him, or you're going to have to help me kill Right. Kill that, the, the only hope is to get the other fly and to somehow evidence. reverse no, the, the They were already past this point where they couldn't find the fly anymore, and he had pretty much right, right, given right. up hope. Right. But and if they had been able to find it, then that, was, been, the, then that right, was the hope. Right. And the, the weird thing is that she keeps uh, she keeps insisting that he go through it again. Right. Like, maybe if you go one more time, it'll fix everything. And, and he'd already been through dozens and he already, of times. He already explained to her that he, she had been through several times. Mm-hmm. And But he, he appreciates her... This is quote unquote delicious feminine logic, right? And to me, it kind of equates feminine logic to insanity, and <laughs> in that she wants him to repeat this process and over and over outcome. and over again, right? And one definition, great definition of insanity, I like, mm-hmm. is that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, right? Albert Einstein. Albert Thank Einstein. You. Albert yes. Einstein. Yeah, and that's interesting. I I like the way 
the movie handled that scene better. Mm-hmm. But but in one way I did, and one way I liked the, the way the book did it too. Um, because that's right. the big reveal, the big scream moment. But it's different in the story in the book. So we'll talk about that right. when we when after we've transitioned. So mm-hmm. I I thought the story was fun. Um, and and there were a couple of things that I liked better about it. I liked the way it ended a little bit better. And again, we'll. I'll elaborate on that one once we've moved on. But Colin, what did you think? You like the story ending better than the movie ending? I did. Wow. Well, I look at the two, the the story and the 1958 movie, and say, you know, there is no way that they had time to build another screenplay. And so it had to be exactly, or as close as it could be to the you original mean because source material. The, yeah. And one I, year, basically. Yeah. And, and I like right. that, mm-hmm. I, I found. Um, so much that I'm, I'm trying to come up with this scale of movie right. versus story similarity so that we can have a... Um, have some kind of, of reference to say, you know, yeah, this is an exact copy. This is kind of a copy. This adapts ideas from, or it's a Star Trek remake. You know, right. so that'd be the well, bottom of the scale. Which let's won't ever really be talked up. about ever. All right, <laughs> let, let's uh, let's toss that around a little bit. Um, sure, but yeah, I mean, there's there's multiple factors in how good an adaptation was, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them is how close it sticks to the story, and then if it doesn't stick to you know super close to the story, what does it do? Is it is it extracting a small part of it? Is it expanding on a much smaller concept? Like we talked about with Farewell to the Master, where the 1951, The Day the Earth Stood Still, kind of took the bones of the story, but expanded one part of it. And successfully, I thought. But yeah. James didn't agree. But and, and then like Planet of the Apes kind of pared down and compressed and just told the central story. Right. We lost our overhead crosswalks. We totally did. So and for this one, I mean, vehicles or so, vehicles. Yeah, for this one, I mean, if you wanted to put a percentage on it, you're like, this is ninety percent just straight across from from the story. Oh yeah, totally. Um, I mean, some of the right. dialogue is lifted right from it. Actually, one of the things talking about misogyny was when uh, Francois and the the kid, whatever the kid's name is, Henry, Henry, Henry when when Henri. they're Henri, yes, when they're sitting at the table and they're talking about he he's talking about the cool fly that I found, you know, with the with the white head and stuff, and mom oh, made yeah. me take it back. You know how women are. Oh, <laughs> yes. Talking about misogyny. Yeah, um, which that is, I mean, it, like that whole conversation is just exactly like verbatim out of the story so right, right. any I other notes on on uh yeah i, I mean I, I think i i'm gonna side with colin and i like the fact that the book was or the movie was so close to the story i think it was. no and i'm not gonna object to that i mean i i am big on the it doesn't have to be a close adaptation like a faithful one in order to be a good movie mm-hmm. but you know i don't mind one when it's close i don't want it to be exactly yeah. the same and that that's actually one of the things that i i thought i understood a couple of the choices they made for the film and so at this point maybe we just move right on to that you think yeah sure. talk about the 1958 film the in- one interesting thing about this one um talking about it, it so talk about the cast just a little bit so the starring cast vincent price was kind of the big name yeah, I think, he's the at brother the time. yeah he's the brother playing francois right. and then david hedison playing andre and patricia owens playing helene and you mentioned it was set in montreal not in right uh, paris. paris that way montreal, they could yeah. plausibly be speaking english i guess right um, <laughs> although they did try to carry off these you know, phony French accents at first. A little Do you bit. You notice it started bit. with yeah. the French yeah. accents, and then like five minutes later, they were done. Well, the commissar kind of kept his throughout the whole thing. Um, but the uh, the screenplay was written by James Clavell, if I remember correctly, which is that sounds right. Kind of very interesting. He's famously the author of Shogun and King Rat and Taipan and Noble House. That's right. Um, the Asian saga. They're really good books, actually. I mm-hmm. definitely recommend them. But uh, that it was his first screenplay. And you know, he didn't make a lot of changes from the book. Um, can we just talk just briefly about how the opening of the film dragged? I mean, I, I, it was just boring, I thought. 
the opening scene where he's getting the phone call and all that, or everything up until she starts recounting what happened. I just thought, wow, this is really, really boring. But that's I, exactly how the story works. It, yeah. yeah, but on in print, it, it seemed to go faster to me, and maybe it mm. was that I had seen the films. First, and we should mention that that we we, we change things up a little bit for this one. We right. and we thought, okay, let's all watch the movies first and then read the story, to make sure that we don't have a bias toward the story before before right. getting to the movies. Maybe maybe this is a the the part where modeling the movie such so close to the story kind of works it, it against takes, it. Yeah, it takes away maybe? a little bit from the yeah. experience of then reading the right. story because uh, as we, I've mentioned in the other episodes that one of our principles for this podcast is we want people to go back and read some of these stories because there's usually some gold there um, that's enjoyable and that right. rewards the actual reading. And in this case, there is, and I'll, I'll get into it a little bit because the ending is slightly different. Yeah. And, and the middle is a little bit different as well. And yeah, it's it's different here and there. But it's just it, it's like a half hour of the movie that happens before, before anything, anything remotely creepy. Because mm. I, I asked my dad about it, and he, he saw this movie in the theater when he was a kid. And I asked him, well, what did you think of it? And he said, oh, it was creepy. And I just, I never got <laughs> any of that from this. And I think this is one of the problems where... Well, he like, could have been referring to the more creepier parts as well. He could have been, but I think the fact is, I went into this knowing the story. Right. You know, okay. I, Fair I, enough. We'd yeah. seen the 1986 movie. We'd seen movie. the 1986 movie. And, and, in I, and I knew in broad strokes what the big reveal was. Mm -hmm. I knew approximately what happened. I knew about the help me part. Right. And so it, it kind of, it made the movie fall a little flat for me. Mm. But I don't know, maybe that's just me. So yeah, anyhow, I, I had a note here. Opening absolutely drags. <laughs> so I just I found it a little silly. Well, you have to admit, going from the 1986 film to the 1980 film, we'll just make it drag anyway. It's true, and yeah, and we'll we'll, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Do you think that might have been a cultural thing? Because you know the ending was changed to give it an uplift, yeah, a little more positive oh, than, totally the, than the book thing. was, yeah. And and maybe they needed that gentle introduction, right? Like t the 1986 movie could never have ever been released, let alone filmed in 1958. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, too gory. Yeah. yeah, too gory, too much nudity, too much mm -hmm. swearing. I mean, the whole nine yards. Yeah, yeah. We we didn't mention in the in the story or in the film. One of my favorite moments is when he does the experiment on the cat. Um, yeah, which, which I just you know, as a person who is not a big fan of cats, uh, <laughs> the disappearance of D'Angelo uh, that was enjoyable to me. Just that meow, and then and then when, yeah. when she asks what happened to him, I don't know. There's just a Stream of cat atoms out in space somewhere that can all go meow. <laughs> Which is interesting because it's a it's a line from the story that comes into the movie mm -hmm. but never gets paid off in the movie but does in the story. Right, uh, and that was one thing that I found interesting. And so I see a perplexed look on Colin's face, and he. What do you mean Colin by paid off? Remember, um, you mean oh yeah, one yeah. of those things that are different that we're not sure that we want to talk about yet. Yeah, yeah, that one I want to talk about because it's a key plot point um, that I kind of have. I, I have a gripe mm -hmm. about the movie that I think well, it made more sense in the story. Well, not um, to mention it's, again, the woman's fault that the cat thing happens, right? <laughs> Just right. going back to that misogynistic overtone. Right. Yeah. That, that was after this. All right. I've already been through through here it, it seven was times. After, but it was after you she basically to forced again, him to do it again. I'll go again. And right. if he hadn't, then... Yeah. Not that it matters because he still got crushed in the end, but... Yeah. yeah. Well, but it, yeah, yeah. But that was the point when it was beyond hope. And, and right. that, that's, that's what I wanted to talk about. Oh, but, I see. As yeah. opposed to the movie, which maybe... Yeah, so... In the film, after his transformation, you know, he's mm -hmm. typing to her. He's telling her, you, you right. must do this for me. You've got to find this peculiar fly. And he expects that she's going to find it in his laboratory. Right. And she doesn't find it in the laboratory, but she remembers that Henri, or Henry, had found the fly. And so they, they mm -hmm. make this mad search around the house trying to find it, and they can't find it. And then in the movie, it's like they try for a day to find it, and then he gives up. 
Well, we're never going to find it because we didn't find it in one day, so it's right. it's too late. I give up. Let's crush me in a press. And it, to me, it's it was a little abrupt. That's a good point because in the movie or in the book it, or story, it had been what weeks. Yeah, she I had think been insane sound for weeks at that point. Yeah, and yeah. and the way they paid it off in the film, the way that, the way they made it work though, was to have the fly parts start to assert their authority over him mm-hmm. like his mind was beginning right. to deteriorate yeah, he couldn't communicate the, as well the book, and it, the, the claw was, was starting to do stuff and yeah i think it was right. more explicit was in the right, film where, yeah, in the film, yeah. where yeah. the claw was like grabbing his other hand to tr- stop him from typing right. and and, and um, he was being very scatterbrained yeah as the, the fly was yeah and so i, I found it the human i found it kind of touching when he went over to the chalkboard and you know, he's writing you know we, I love you, know, you. All hope gone. I love you. You know. Um, yeah. And it doesn't look like an adult's handwriting. It's shaky. The right. letters are different sizes. It looks like you know he's physically or psychologically reverting. Yeah. So another and note. You can't see me making circles around my forehead when I say that. No, it's true. We don't have a video <laughs> podcast, which is good because. You know, no, we don't want that. Audio only, big time. <laughs> um, I, one other thing I liked from both the story and the book is that they used a, a literal guinea pig, which oh, yes. which I thought was cool. And I don't know what the origin of that term is i'm sure it predates the fly but um i just it, it was at least a question in my head I'm like well is that where that term comes from from the movie the fly but i'm imagining that it comes from earlier sure. medical experimentation so i like throughout the story the 58 movie and the 86 movie mm-hmm. there was an element that stayed the same and that was the little uh the reversal of the plate. The plate went yeah. through right so the scientist right. sends the plate through he's all excited about it the wife turns it over and goes Oh, it says, you know... Made in Japan, backwards. Edem ni etnak. How's that again? Edem ni etnak. I'm impressed with how consistent you were between the two attempts there. Um, <laughs> yes, made in Japan. That's made in... Uh, or in Klingon, made in China. Yeah. <laughs> backwards. Right. Yeah. And he hadn't even noticed it. Right, yeah. And that, that, that took him back to the drawing board, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, was the line about where... So at some point in the film, and I don't remember if it was in the in the story or not, she begins to kind of do the standard anti-technology or the pace is moving too fast rant, where she says to him, you know, we we have radio and we have television and we've got all these things and there's satellites and bombs and um, just to kind of the, you know, the that, fear of technology. I don't know if it was in the story, but it was in the that wasn't in the really film. in the in the story uh, in the book, but mm-hmm. I think it's made up. Well, I think in the story you have the whole bit about the telephone house, the intrusion of technology in our right. lives, yeah, via, and via the telephone, mm-hmm. precisely. He's that telephone in his bedroom, telephone right. everywhere in every room in the house, mm-hmm. and I it would have been I think in my mind it would have been difficult to convey his whole telephone thing definitely in the film, yeah. So rather than doing so that specifically, that they kind of took that note to her mm-hmm. in her. We're moving too fast, technology thing. Right. I think the themes that are there together in both the book and the movie, it's just in different ways because it would have been hard to express one and the other. Sure, sure. And and that discussion led into the religious reference um, for the film, which we like to cover, being church-going people, um, where she says, you know, it's it's frightening. It's like playing ish. God. And he says, you know, church-going-ish. <laughs> Two-thirds church-going, um, or at least willingly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe three-quarters. Um, there we go. We'll okay. give you a little bit. Right. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Um, you don't you don't kick and scream and and, and you haven't Touché. burst into flames when you come to church with us. Not yet. So, and I keep um, looking because I want right, to see it. You, you know, in the show notes, we need to put the shirt that you wear to church. Um, <laughs> have you seen his Sunday shirt? No, it's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, I'll put it in the show notes. So it'll be on it'll be on the post on the website. Okay. Um, which, by the way, I I haven't given out any of the contact information. Uh, so you can find us at pavementpodcast.com, and that's where the show notes will be. 
Um, uh, we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash pavement podcast, and Twitter is at pavement podcast. Um, but anyhow, like I was saying, she says it's like playing God, and he says God gives us intelligence to uncover the wonders of nature. Without the gift, nothing is possible. So, you know, just the sort of right. oh, shout out to the big man upstairs uh, <laughs> for the 1958 film, because you have to have that, I guess. Um, one other thing that, that cracked me up was in the in the 58 movie when Helene is talking to Francois and having him come down. Oh, Andrea has something to show you in the in the laboratory. And he says, oh, what is it, flat screen? And oh, right. I thought, oh, <laughs> they're working on flat screen TVs back then. Um, but didn't you say you looked up something about what flat screen was, James? Yeah, well, pre presumably if they were talking about flat screen televisions or flat screen monitors, TV, and not necessarily television per se, but a monitor. Mm -hmm. And yes, I did look it up. They were working on it in the 50s, but it wasn't perfected, I guess. or Its modern incarnation wasn't created until 1964. Wow. So, and that's a flat, that's a flat a screen flat CRT. No, 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 it's a plasma? Plasma, yeah. Whoa! It was using plasma. Oh, cool. See, I figured yeah. it was like using a bunch, an array of mini light bulbs or something. And now we yeah. have, I think we have some that are like micro LED array yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, it's LEDs. But, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, th those are used for the backlight, not for the pixels, right? So, but yeah, I thought that flat screen reference was interesting. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about, I mean, what'd you guys think of the 1958 film? I liked the film. I, I liked its little more upbeat tone. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of liked the change it made in the middle with, with Dandelo. By not having him in there, because I don't, I would have a problem calling it the fly from that point forward. Right. So, I, and I didn't even, we didn't explicitly talk about that. So, oh, right. at, at some point when they're when they're doing the thing, you've got to go find the fly for me, mm -hmm. and and we'll go back through together, and the parts will swap over, and we'll all be good. Right. And she tells him to go in again and again, you know, and he right. he, he keeps going through, and then eventually, somehow, randomly, D'Angelo's atoms come in there, and he comes out, and the big reveal which isn't the same in the film, mm -hmm. um, is that he now no longer just has the fly head, but the fly has like patches of cat fur on it right. and a pointy cat ear, right. um, which I thought was really cool. Right. Actually. To me, it sounded like a cat head, but with fly eyes and then right. a, um, like a fly snout. Yeah, and so I felt like it paid off the disappearance of D'Angelo, where the other one yeah. just sort of had it as a right. creepy something, which was still awesome um, on account of the cat disintegrated. Yeah. <laughs> It is funny because the cat dies. Uh, yeah, I liked that. And then the the difference between that and the fifty eight film, you know, is she goes he goes through that one more time for her, mm -hmm. and and then she's like, I'm sure it worked this time, and pulls the thing off, and, and then, then we have that really cool actually right. POV shot from him where you see the right. oh the fly point of view, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, which that was that's a cool shot, right. and the um, and the mandatory scream, obviously, right. yes. yes. I mean, well, she can't just look pretty; she's got to scream Touché. too. So. Um, we find that in that's all. how they worked in the mandatory screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a note somewhere in the movie. Is that being one of the most iconic sci-fi mm -hmm. shots ever? The whole multiple, you know, yeah, with multiple her Helen with the in the oh, yeah. through the fly cool. eyes. Yeah, yeah. Harkens back to elementary school when you look through the kaleidoscope. Like, oh, this is what a fly sees. Right. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> or a bee. Or anything like um. That. So let's talk about. I mean, for me, like the highlight of the film was the inspector. I th I thought that guy really did a good job. In terms of the way the actors performed, I thought he right. was the only one who looked like he had enough dignity to <laughs> to just like, you know what, the show must go on. I'm going to just act the heck out of this. And, and like he was totally believable to me. Well, everybody else was a little eh, not quite like, oh, we're doing science fiction and they're paying us. Right. But we don't really know what we're doing. I, I don't know. Even Vincent Price? Even Vin Vincent Price especially. I like I expected a certain kind of dignity and darkness to him and I just I found him kind of unbelievable. But you know, maybe know. as a villain it would have come through better. But I yeah. think as the as the uh he wasn't very expressive. Yeah, I he I don't was, know. He was, he was very he was very 
not monotone as far as voice goes. Uh, I don't know what the word is. A very one note. Yeah, very yeah. one note throughout the entire film. Yeah. So I'll, I'll have to put in the in the show yeah. notes the trailer for the 1958 film because he comes on and narrates that thing, and it's oh, really? it is creepy. Really. Uh, and, and and just you know not super creepy if you already have seen the film. Right. Um, but Vincent Price's voice. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Because like my big memory of Vincent Price was like um, masterpiece mystery. He used he used to be the host of that. At least if I'm thinking about that correctly, I have to look it up. Um, but also the end of Thriller. Um, the, oh, you know, the darkness right. falls the across funk the of yeah. forty thousand year. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that. And yeah, so he had that magnificent voice, which I just felt like didn't really come into this film. But mm. I don't know. That's just yeah. Me. I think I agree with you on the um, inspector though, because there there was there's an obvious transition in the movie for the inspector where it goes from him being all official and inspecting right and he's not quite sure what to make of it he right thinks, oh, and she's probably insane all of a sudden there's this click where he believes and he's like okay i agree we need to cover this up this mm-hmm. this can't be revealed right. this can't come out mm-hmm. and yeah that, but i found that scene a little too neat um when, when they're coming yeah. up with the cover but, but story. it exists and you can tell the difference sure in the you can tell that transitions there with the inspector mm-hmm. and the reason i mention that is because that transition is not really there for francois sure for his for Vincent Price's character, I, I mean, know. you don't really see the transition from, yeah, she's crazy to oh my gosh, she's not crazy, mm-hmm. and he decide, he doesn't really seem very pissed off that she just killed his brother at right. all. Right. Well, or... but there's the love triangle thing going there, right? Yeah. I mean, he's true. totally in love with her, and she married his brother. <laughs> That's a good point. And and so then we have the sort of the happily ever but after. But in, in the story, I got kind of got this feeling that he was a bit conflicted with the fact that she killed his brother and. Yeah, that could maybe, be the mark. Maybe not so much that he killed his brother, but the fact that his brother's dead. He's like, he, right. he, I got the feeling in the book that there was a kind of a numbness to him about it. Yeah, and that, that I, kind of I happened. Think, I think you've hit kind of my main. And that's how gripe he with dealt it. with it. As in the story or in the the film, he didn't really deal with it anything. Right. <laughs> you didn't see a lot of effect on him. Right. The fact that his brother died at um, all, or the, yeah, or even, the fact even when they're in the truth or anything. It's, yeah, he was very like you said one note to me. Yeah, even even in the factory where they discover him dead, I just I didn't I don't know. Maybe I'm being too hard on Vincent Price, but I didn't I didn't get it. Your so. expectations mm. are too high. It's probably <laughs> true. Yeah. So one thing that I mentioned is that I wasn't a fan of the ending. I didn't. It, it was too neat, too happy. I wanted the Twilight Zone ending. And so what what my perfect ending for the movie would have been when Francois sits down on that park bench and there's the bell going off and you can hear the help me, help me. Yes. You know the first time. And the audience can hear it, but Francois doesn't hear it, and he walks away, and you just know he's on but a spider But they needed an excuse to use awesome animatronics. I, I guess they did, but no, <laughs> I wanted it to end right there. Curtain fall as soon as Francois walks away. Oh. Um, because I, I just, that's, that was the ending to me. And, and so the rest of it just was kind of unnecessarily happy, other than, of course, the big animatronic spider. Right. And stuff. Exactly. And I'm not saying th- that scene still is awesome. Don't get me wrong. With 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 him there with his one arm mm-hmm. and looking like he's aged a thousand years. Um, maybe it was just from the silk True. and being wrapped up. I don't know. Could but, have been. And, and then help me, please help me. No. So I never answered your question. What I like better, the book or the movie? And I I think I do prefer the movie a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you couldn't have the reveal with with the dandelo fly scientist thing and still call it the fly because then it would have sure. been like the fly cat or the cat fly. Right. Or, right, right. Yeah, I, then, I I agree. Um, though I actually, I mean, we'll we'll get to ranking them when we when we've covered the other film. Okay. Too, so, but you're on record, so you can't change your mind now. Right. Um, and I won't forget in the right. next. 10 so minutes. it's probably <laughs> worth noting there were several sequels 
to three. The, to the original one. Three of them, really. Three. Okay. I knew there was the Return of the Fly, and that's as far as I knew. And I knew there was some more. We didn't see any of the sequels. We did not see The Fly right. 2 uh, in, from 1989. We did not see Return of the Fly right. from 1959 or Curse of the Fly in 1965. Right. So that's well, more delightful stuff. That I didn't realize there was a Return of the Fly and Curse of the Fly. Yeah, actually, that uh, DVD that I got that we watched had had the Fly and the Return of the Fly wow. on it. Where it's, well, I knew it's, the Fly and the well. Is that Return of the Fly? Is that the this Fly Two? I guess. No, yeah, well, not exactly. So it is. Oh, okay. In in a way, it's the same because it it is his son, but right. it's not the Brundlefly son. Right. 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 So um, and. W- with that note, I think we should move on to Brendel the 1986 Fly. film, which all three of us had previously seen. So we, we've talked right. about um, the way the first experience of a particular story sometimes makes it so that that's the true story and that's the one we're going to prefer. And there's just an, right. a bias that we're always going to have unless we're completely blown away by something else. Right. And it totally stuck for me this time. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll mention it. So... Right off the bat in the 1986 film, the style is completely different. Where in, in the 58 movie, like I said, half hour before anything really happens. Where this one, it's like you pop into the middle of a scene with Seth Brundle, which, by the way, excellent name. Um, but you pop right into like a cocktail party thing happening right in the middle of a conversation between him and Gina Davis. You know, well, I'm working on something that's going to change the world, right? right. Imagine finding that at a scientific convention. Right. Yeah, I'm sure there's right. nobody else with that kind of opinion there. Um, and that, that's the line that you use to, attra- to uh, approach the attractive reporter. So, yeah, just that from the very beginning, like tone completely different. Um, the interesting thing is that um, the 1986 film was shot in Canada, which I didn't know about. But, oh, really? So that's kind of a yeah. consistent oh, thing. I, was, yeah. I think David it was shot Cronenberg. in Toronto. So. Yeah. Did, was it... Was it supposed to take place in Manhattan was that kind of the idea we're supposed to get from that or New York somewhere it never says where it is okay so you know anytime it doesn't tell you what city it's in it's probably meaning to be New York or LA (laughs) or Seattle right Chicago yeah Chicago so we we mentioned before starring Jeff Goldblum as Seth Brundle and Gina Davis as whatever her name was Um, Veronica Veronica Ronnie yes through most of the film and then some other dude is the jerky editor ex-boyfriend Yes. Who still has um, a key to her apartment. Right. Right. And, and directed by David Cronenberg, which I don't, I'm not familiar with his work, really. No. Um, he made Scanners. That awesome so he's telepathic a gore guy. movie. Okay. He is a gore guy. He kind of, uh, he's known for developing what's called the body horror genre. Okay. Where um, the horror isn't necessarily, necessarily gore. It's this idea that there's a disease or uh, a possession or technology that begins to take over your body and change it in, un- in incredible ways. Like Slither would be a great modern example of hmm. body horror. Okay. I don't think I saw that. Or one. the fly. Or the fly. Or the fly, yes. Now that you yeah. say that, that, that maybe it makes sense now. So, I'm not sure how we want to approach this. The story is really, of, of the 1986 film, is, is quite distinct from the right. original one. Right. It's, it's not, you don't, you don't start with a confession of a wife having no. killed somebody. Though, in you broad do strokes, have the basic yeah. three main people, though, if you want to go with that. Right, you got, you could be, the editor guy could be analogous to Francois, yeah, sure. The person then, who's defending Ronnie, yes, right. Ronnie would be analogous to the wife, mm-hmm. and then uh, Brundle would be analogous to Andre. Well, obviously Andre, right? Yes, right. He's a scientist. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, those three char- those three characters, I think, kind of carry over and are relatively mm-hmm. parallel. With a few obvious differences. Yeah. Yeah. But, so the know. creepy brother-in-law who you knew used to be in love right. with is now the the creepy <laughs> ex-boyfriend who has the key to your apartment exactly. and shows up inside of it, showering and right. Yeah. Who's a complete douche? Yes. Um, totally. Yeah, and so one kind of side note here, just tangent. The 
the place that she works is called Monolith Publishing, which I didn't know. Is that a throwback to 2001? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I just, like, just kind of a random sci-fi shout out there. I don't know. I don't know why you name it that otherwise. Yeah. 1958 right. movie was pretty heavy on the analog special effects, Definitely. neon and lighting effects. The 1986 movie was very, very high in computer effects. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time looking at a flash of light in these very technological-looking pods. Mm-hmm. But the computer screen, which oh, is yes. showing you, you know, lots of random alphanumeric characters that flash right. across the screen. And, and explaining what's happening. Yes. I, I looked it up on TV Tropes. It's Expositron. Expositron? <laughs> yeah. There's a name for it. Yes. Nice. Um, <laughs> I love so, it. So, yeah, one thing that sometime in a movie I want to see, and I'm sure there's probably like a Mel Brooks movie out there or something, where a scientist does something and there's like obvious dry dry ice in use with all the the mist oh, right. coming out of oh. something. <laughs> because in this there is, right? After the teleportation, there's this mist in order to make it have a little suspense as to what happened to the thing inside. Yeah. And I, sometime I just want the scientist to go, I, I just like the way that looks. Like there's no function whatsoever to it. So I, I just, put in some dry eyes. Yeah, this yeah. is a Mel Brooks movie. He was a producer. That's right. Actually, yeah, I, I yes. must have subliminal subliminally thought that. Yeah, yeah. he's uncredited because they didn't want his name really attached. Oh, to really? It. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, neither person did. Right. One person didn't. One person wanted to, to distribute it but not finance it, mm. and someone else wanted to finance it but not distribute it. Wow. Um, and and huh. David Cronenberg, who directed and wrote the movie, ended up giving screen credit to the original writer, a guy by the name of Charles Edward Pogue. Right. Was he the guy who... No, that was the original director. There was originally a different director on board, but he had a death in the family and had to had to leave. And then he couldn't... When he came back, he's just like, I'm sorry, I'm not, yeah. not into it. I got to gotta right. get out of here. And that's when they got Cronenberg. Yeah. Which, who I think they had originally wanted, but he was working on something else. Mm-hmm. So what they were sort of into production by then or... Yeah, Cronenberg got unattached to Total Recall. That's right, yeah. Which we're totally going to have to do, by the way. Right. Um, we, we haven't even really decided what we're going to do next, so we'll get back to that in a few minutes. Yes. <laughs> and argue yeah. about it. Uh, yeah, but so Poe came up with the original idea of this more gradual transformation mm-hmm. that begins to take over. So uh, let's run some stories. So he runs the plate through. It comes up backwards, so he does a whole bunch more working. He puts the baboon through. The baboon comes back just... Inside out. Inside out. It, like that scene from Galaxy Quest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the animal is inside out, <laughs> and his head has exploded. <laughs> um. And so then he gets this idea, and they put the baboon through successfully, and then the ex-boyfriend ends up threatening to reveal the telepods uh, before he's ready to reveal them. Right. And to protect Seth, Ronnie goes back and you know yells at, yells at the, the douchebag and tries mm-hmm. to get him to stop doing this. But Seth doesn't pick up on that. He thinks that... That she's uh, getting back together with him. And, right. Yeah. And so he puts himself through the pod in, that, in the middle of that despair, mm-hmm. and that's the big accident in the film. That's when the fly gets put in. And instead of getting a fly... With a human head and arm, and a guy with a human with a fly head and arm, you get Brundlefly. Right, a kind of what, yeah. conglomeration now, of the two. You did skip over um, that at some point he puts a stake through there, right? Because he realizes what's wrong with the baboon that that the computer doesn't understand flesh. So I, I actually wrote down yeah. here goes through the goes through with the fly after Ronnie teaches him a lesson about meat or flesh. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Yeah, they they become romantically and intimately involved, which yes. is important to it this is particular storyline. Yeah. So yeah, he he gets he gets drunk with two buck Chuck or something, and right. goes through the pod. Yes, drunk, right? And yeah, it's it's a more sort of scientific. Maybe take. it was actually the alcohol that messed everything up. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, the telepod got drunk. 
Um, <laughs> what I, one thing that I one thing I want to note here is he calls them telepods, right? Yes. And right. but but when he's t describing them, because in the 1958 film it was the de disintegrator integrator, right? Um, disintegrator reintegrator. No, that's what it is in the story. In the in the film it was disintegrator integrator. They dropped a whole oh, syllable. They, 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 they dropped, dropped a whole thing. But yeah. then when he's okay. describing it. He right. says reintegrated, and so does Seth right. Brundle. He says it's disintegrated right. here and reintegrated mm -hmm. there. So he actually a yeah. little bit of a nod. Yeah. That was a little bit of a nod to that. Yes, and so yeah, he, so he goes through with the fly, and then he comes out, and there's no big difference other than all of a sudden he's turned into a gymnast. And she yeah. wakes, she wakes up the next morning, and he's like doing a an L sit out of a chair, and then like into a handstand, and then starts doing all this stuff. And she looks at him, she's like, eh, "Pretty fly for a white guy." Yes. Um, but he is a pretty fly white guy, yes, unfortunately. I know. <laughs> and he becomes convinced that going through the teleporter is a way of purifying things right. and making them better. And I think they come up with that while he's at the coffee shop putting in like nine tablespoons of sugar into just, his coffee. And, right. and can I get a cinnamon roll with that, please? Yeah. Yeah. And he's totally just motor mouthing the whole time. Yeah. Almost like me. Yeah. Um, and I guess we should mention like a highlight of the film is Jeff Goldblum is magnificent. In, he is. In, as that character. Right. I mean, just. He, he was the perfect guy to do it. Yeah. Um, if you read the Wikipedia article, which I'm going to refer to several times in this conversation, please do. Uh, Gene Siskel said that he should have gotten an Academy Award for that, but didn't because the directors rarely recognize horror films or watch them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's, sure. It's, it's the kind of genre curse. Yeah. Which right. has only recently been In the last corrected. few years, really. Yeah. I mean, you have Heath Ledger winning for The Joker. Right? Yeah. And but he had to die to get that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, one wonders... <laughs> If he would, I mean, I thought he was appropriately honored for that, but yes, um, yeah, who knows? Um, I thought it was interesting when he's putting all the sugar in his cappuccino, you know, and then, <laughs> yeah. then when, once he begins to drink it, he slurps it, I and mean, he totally just out and out slurps it. And to me, it reminded me of the 1958 film when he has her bring down milk, milk with, with rum, rum oh, and yeah. then, yes. then he puts it on, he, like under his hood, and you hear this. <laughs> and it, I mean, it totally sounds like him sipping his cappuccino, and then later doing the "Here's how Brundlefly eats" thing, which is oh, sorry, that's disgusting. Yes. <laughs> Which was cool, because um, now he has to eat it, right? He's he has not been improved; he has been mutated, right? And has to go back and t you know eat a bunch of crow and say, "Oh no, I'm actually kind of screwed up. This is right. more like a disease." Well, I'm, and right. and so he puts pressure on her to go through the pod because he feels like this this has made me better. You need to go through, and it'll make you better too, right? But, but she won't do it, and and so there, there's that good scene where he's like, "You're jealous." You're jealous. I've become free. I've been released, and you can't stand it. You'll do anything to bring me down. So he kicks her to the curb um, and picks up some slutty girl in a bar after he breaks the dude's arm. After the arm wrestling scene, yeah. yeah. Right. And then she won't go through the pod either, so he nope. realizes, screw everybody. Yeah. Which, I figured out, leaves another potential sequel. Cause it he... does, yeah. yeah. He did uh, Yeah, he did have relations uh, with yeah, her, sure. yes. from what we know. We're, we're assuming. Oh, right, so he's trying to get the girl from the bar to go through the pod. Right. And she's like, no, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And, and that's when Gina Davis comes in. And because Brundle says, no, don't be afraid. And she says, yes, be afraid. Be, be very, very afraid. Be very afraid, yeah. Which I didn't realize that was the tagline for the movie. I mean, it's like on on the box when, when I got the, the Blu-ray. So yeah. I've heard that a ton. And I don't know if that's the that origin reference That is where it of comes it? from. And the Wikipedia article mentions that and says, yeah, very few, think few so. people know that. And so if you listen from. to us, you have now been culturally enlightened I don't know as about to where you, your right? words come from. That <laughs> makes me feel pretty old, though. Why would your parents let you watch that when you were four years old? That's what I want to know. <laughs> right. Now, I don't think I saw this one in the theater. I'm, I'm not pretty sure old, I so. did when I was probably eight years old or something. <laughs> I thought you were born in like 1980. Yeah, I was. I don't think I saw him. You were probably came five. Out, he would have been six years old. Yeah. He would have been six years old. I don't yeah. think I watched it right when it came out. I saw, I'm pretty sure I watched it when it was on VHS. Yeah. I mean, I was like 14. 
I think. So it's yeah. possible yeah. I sneaked into it, but I, I don't think so. I think I saw it on VHS. Yeah. Um, so back in the days of rent a VCR. Yes. Right. Wow. Okay. So yeah, he goes. He starts to go through his transformation, and and the makeup effects are just so cool. Yeah, peeling off the uh, fingernails mm-hmm. and the the hairs right. growing out of his back, mm-hmm. and the teeth starting to come out. Yeah. And uh, if you get the DVD, if you get one of the nicer DVD editions of it, it has the, the Brundle Seth Brundle, uh... Seth Brundle Museum of Natural History, right. yeah. which is all the things that had come off his body throughout the thing. Awesome. There was an ear and the teeth, uh, and eventually an eye. So, are you t- recommending the DVD over the Blu-ray? I'm recommending whichever version <laughs> that allows you access to the most <laughs> special features. Oh, okay. Which is almost always the case, right? You don't want to get right. the stripped down right. full screen edition of the DVD or something. Which right. is all you, you're getting nowadays. Now they're putting all those special features through password lock versions of right. things oh, right. that are online, like The Hobbit, which mm-hmm. I think is a major mistake. Yeah, because you want, you want the commentary. I know you do. Yeah. So. Right. Um, so I, I had... Uh, I had said that at some point we need to capture at least one of James's main or uh, one-liners, because <laughs> usually oh, right. when we're watching the movie, James comes up with something that's gold, like the you know last time ape man ape <laughs> after man. praying, um, but this time it was it's bacon man or bacon man. yeah because they, at some point when during his transformation he just looks like he's all wrapped in bacon yeah and what was <laughs> it? Said, well so, so he was wrapped says, in bacon and incredibly hearty. Yeah, and that's the point where Seth was like, "Oh, he's like he's invincible," man. and he's like, "And delicious, <laughs> so, so. and tasty." Yep. So we we got to get somebody who can draw comics and draw us Bacon Man. <laughs> By the way, now that I'm mentioning art, I realized I had made an, a note. I wanted to give a shout out to my friend Steve Rasher, who gave us our cool podcast logo, the Alien. Yes. Thank you, Steve. Yes. It is awesome. Okay. There we go. Thank you, Steve. And also, I wanted to give a shout out to Worlds Without End, which is a sci-fi, fantasy, and horror novel kind of reviews website which you can go there and you can check out stuff and you can see what everybody in the community there thought of a particular title so you never have to read a bad book again so worldswithoutend.com thank you for linking our podcast so then at some point back to the movie ronnie realizes she is pregnant and she has a nightmare and in the nightmare she delivers this larva Mm -hmm. and and she wakes up and she's awake and alive and over at what's his face's house Mm -hmm. And realizes that she wants to have an abortion. Right. And that brings us, starts to bring us to the end of the movie. So she goes to tell Seth that she's going to have an abortion. And he really doesn't want her to. Mm-hmm. She goes into the doctor's office where you get a special viewing of David Cronenberg. Right. As the abortion doctor. He's the abortion doctor. Yeah. And who should show up but dad. Mm-hmm. Dad is mad. He does not want her to get an abortion because the fly psychosis has taken over a lot. Mm-hmm. He's now able to climb walls. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can do the cool kind of super acidic spit thing. Right. Uh, so he picks up Ronnie and kidnaps her and takes him True. takes her back to his apartment where he has rigged up a third telepod. Well, the original, the prototype. The prototype. Yeah. Right. And he wants to somehow merge them or something to help it's him become to be more the human. Ultimate in togetherness. Yeah. The ultimate right. family. Be the perfect family. The inter- there's a deleted scene um, from the film where he uses that and he sends through a cat and a baboon. Oh, little um, vandalism. Which I yeah, and so I thought that's got to be a nod back to the previous movie, and they get they get merged together into a push me pull you from Doctor Doolittle, and he has to kill and, it. Yeah, I think he does. Yeah, I can't I can't remember, but it was grody, grody. So uh, that's what she he said. takes. Seth takes Ronnie, shoves her into the pod, mm-hmm. and she kind of wakes up, and now is you know watching this two minute countdown timer, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden in through the front door shows up 
the ex-boyfriend. Which I don't even remember his name. Stathis. Stathis, wow. Stathis. Really? Yeah, no, that is a name. And he, yeah. Stathis has a shotgun, and mm-hmm. Stathis d- gets to do one really important thing before he gets the tar beat out of him by the fly, which is to shoot the cables coming out of Ronnie's telepod. Right. right? So she can get out. The interesting thing is, yeah, before, before that happens, though, he gets his hand and his leg melted by the fly. Was that after or before? That was before he, he shot the thing. Like, when he first came in. Okay. Yeah, I think he was there before she got put into the pod. And then he, he gradually was able to drag himself over and pick up the shotgun. Okay. Um, just with the one. Uh, right, one yeah, because he, he was up in the rafters when he came in. Mm-hmm. And he totally ambushed him. The, yeah. The fly. Yeah, that's right. The fly totally ambushed him. And, yeah. and at this point, all, right, all, traces in the shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. all traces yeah. of Seth's humanity are gone. Right. Right. All the flesh kind of sloughs off and his eyeball pops out. Mm-hmm. He's full on bacon, man. Yeah, but totally. There, there's a cool scene at some point when he tells her, don't come back here or I'll hurt you. And, and it, it, it was a neat speech i thought you know i i'm an insect who dreamed he was a man and loved it but now if you come back here i'll hurt you saying i'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it but now the dream is over and the insect is awake i'm saying And that goes right back to the original movie. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why he decides to kill himself is because mm-hmm. he's afraid he's going to hurt his wife and child. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Roll, roll one thing. Out. One thing that I like about the 1986 film is the creature effects. You know, the the what yeah. they called it, the space fly in the behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, my space. big fear is if they ever remade this, they'd do it all with CG, and it would just be crap. I mean, it'd right. be like the the uh, the it Dark Seekers cool. in I Am Legend. You know, where it's just. Like, that's really the best you could do? I mean, maybe it wouldn't even be crap, but I like the practical effects way better. Yeah, having it there right. to be real and to interact with mm-hmm. was probably a huge acting bonus as well. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. True. And there, there's a cool scene where they're showing Gina Davis having to do the part where she grips his jaw off. Yeah. And she really had to work to get that thing off of there. <laughs> really? Yeah. <That's laughs> so, awesome. yeah. And I don't do anymore stuff, either. There's like a eight-part behind-the-scenes thing on YouTube. It was, really? It was, yeah, it was pretty cool. Well, and we also found out that the guy that played the 1958, he played Andre in the 1958 movie, made a book about it. And yes. we tried really hard to get it and were unable to for you know any reasonable cost. And we can put it in the show notes. There we go. Yeah, I will make a note of that to put it in the show notes. Noted. And I've also got a link to the making of The Fly in, on YouTube. And also, um, I mentioned to the guys before we started recording that there's a YouTube channel called The Remaker and he talks about films that were remade and just kind of compares and contrasts them and um, with this one he says he says this, this is remake done right and and he likes both he feels like both films are good and kind of stand the test of time in a way like 1958 right. one is definitely a 50s sci-fi movie where 1986 is. Yeah. is definitely an 80s sci-fi movie yeah. and I kind of agree with him about that and so I think it's probably about time to wrap up. Anything else that you liked or didn't like about the 1986 film? I mean, it was gory. It's it's like right. on my gore meter. I'm not I'm not a horror guy. I don't like horror novels, horror movies, no. but this is definitely sort of it's like on the, the periphery uh, sci-fi horror gore yeah. aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I like something like Aliens, yeah, um, which is also kind of that sci-fi horror genre. I don't want to mm-hmm. go straight horror. Like I'm not going to watch a slasher film, but um, but you know, a little. Gory, gross-out stuff doesn't right. bother me. Okay, in October, <laughs> you need to think about doing the duel. Okay. You mean for Halloween? Yeah. See, I was thinking of doing Frankenstein or something classic, but Ooh, oh, yeah. Island of Dr. Moreau or something. But <laughs> well, we'll talk about that as we approach it. I like the way the 1986 movie ends with a throwback to the 1958 
movie and the story where the Brundle thing at that point yeah, wants grabs the, the shotgun and puts it up to his head and asking right. her to finish it all. Yeah. You, you do wonder, I mean, because the police are never involved in any way. Nope. And so like that entire subplot is, is, is gone. But I guess he's, he's right. in this kind of, his lab is in the industrial section of town, which one thing I wanted to look up and I never got to was the, the door to his place. It looked exactly to me like the door from oh, the 1958 right. lab also. In the basement. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm wondering, I'm wondering if it was deliberately, like if they got the same prop or, or just made it that way. I don't know. Like, Someone can tell us. Shoot us an email. Feedback at pavementpodcast.com. Yes. So now we should, should we rank? I think we are rank. Right. I, I mean, we should rank. So yeah, why don't, we, why don't you lead off the rankings? I'm having a hard time with this one. There are, there are individual elements I like about each one. Dang it, you stole my line. I was going to same thing. <laughs> well, then, then we're on the same page for a change. <laughs> I think hey, we know, are. Um, I'm going to edit this thing pick, so you can bribe me. I, I think I'm going to have to go with that thing that we're afraid of saying, which is you know the thing that we saw first is the thing that we equate best. Yeah. So I right. do like the 86 movie. Uh, best right behind it. I like the 1958 movie, and then just right, right there at the bottom, you know, the 57 story. And I, I particularly like the fact that the 80, the 58 movie was such a faithful sure. uh, adaptation of the original source material. All right, right. So James, what's what? What are your rounding uh, roundings? roundings. I, I put this under pounder <laughs> rankings every time, so it's roundings. So I'm gonna go with the uh, 1986 film, and then the story, and then the film. Ooh, why do you rank the story yes. above the film? There, there's a few lines I like in the in the story, and 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 themes in the story that were not in the yeah. book uh, I'm or gonna, in the in the film. I mean, for the first time, I'm going to side with James on this one. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go 1986 film, then the story, yeah. then the 1958 film, and it's mostly just because the ending. Because right. I I liked that it wasn't yeah. a happy. I like the endings in the story better. I like the I I really enjoyed the that intro by Francois with the whole intrusion yeah. into his household by technology mm -hmm. i thought it was very interesting and very applicable to current time as well yeah like the induction of mobile phones and stuff so if we ever get to doing the day of the triffids which james read the day of the triffids yes um then there's some kind of discussion of that kind of stuff in the in that one yeah, as well yeah. so yeah i think this is worth adapting into a 45 minute short film i don't know that people would sit through you know 60 or 90 minutes like they right. would have in the 50s right um but i think mm. it, it could still live really well as yeah. a straight up adaptation you know, with with better special effects, mm -hmm. um, but right. yeah, I mean, plot for plot, line for line. Yeah, yeah, I I felt that it would make a like a killer Outer Limits or Twilight mm -hmm. Zone episode. In fact, I if they had one of those, I think I would have preferred that to nineteen fifty eight movie just for the pacing of it, because they would uh, have had to strip out all the sort yeah. of, I I didn't like that they kept the same general order where it started off with the confession and then flashed back in time. I, I would have rather seen that done differently. Oh, see, I love that because, you know, if we hadn't known what was going to come, that reveal to find out is Helen insane or what else happened, I think that's that's killer. That's the suspense part of that movie for me. All right, I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that that probably does pay that off better where right. you don't know why she murdered her husband except going into this film, I totally knew already why she what did it. What was going to happen. Um, yes. And yeah. so so that's why it kind of fell flat, I think. Right. But I can't I can't necessarily ding it for my own knowledge going in, though this was the first <laughs> time I'd actually seen it. So this is the first time I think that I hadn't seen one of the films that we're talking about, which is cool. Yeah, because on the previous episodes I, I had already True. seen everything and just hadn't read the stories. You had um, already seen all the uh, Dave Anderson stills. Yeah, right. I had, and I'd seen all the Planet of the Apes, all of them. <laughs> so except maybe the TV show stuff, but oh well. Um, so let's talk just real briefly about what we want to do next time. Well, we have lots of things in the work. We do. We're trying to we uh, make 
make James read Day of the Trippets, <laughs> mm-hmm. which we've found out to be an awesome post-apocalyptic read. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, we've all read Odd Thomas, and the movie just came out, and right. we need to get together and watch that. So that's two in the hopper that are, that sure. are potential. And that'll be a kind of a change-up, right, to do something really, really recent, because usually we've been doing, like, classic or... I mean, True. 1986, that's a long time ago now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes me sad, but it is a long time ago. Um, so, to, But I think, yeah, we definitely should do some more recent stuff and odd thomas would be that was kind of the one that launched the discussion about the podcast i think because we had all i think you and i had right. read it and it just came out really cheap for the nook mm-hmm. and so i had picked it up and and reread it again and and we tried to convince james right. to do it and well, yeah, then we, found out that the movie you was and i had talked about enough where I, I did read the book and right. then my wife read the book and now and then yeah. all of a sudden the movie looks and i was like hey the movie's coming out yeah cool yeah so i think that kind <laughs> of that was one of the sparks for discussions about doing the podcast so right. i think yeah. yeah we'll we'll definitely have to get in here and and do that maybe i'll pick up the i'll see if they have it at target or yeah. something well and uh on our website we also have a poll up uh, like like seth mentioned we right. hate making decisions if you want to have some input into what we watch read and talk about next go to our website and uh go to the poll and seth will link to the poll in the show notes and you yes can i will tell us what you want us to watch so the, the four options are they live total recall which is based on a philip k dick novel Novella. Uh, Philip K. Novella. Story. story. Death Race 2000 and A Sound of Thunder. Right. So only four of them. Only which four. Which is good. I mean, we're, we're going to do The Day of the Triffids at some point. We're going to do Odd Thomas at some point. So maybe for our next episode, we should just commit to doing Odd Thomas. We could do that. Yeah. Or they live. Or they really want to watch that movie. It's going to be a short read, I hear. So why don't we yeah. do that <laughs> and right. then make a time when we can get together and do a super watch? Okay. So... I think we have decided for the next one we're going to do They Live, which is kind of in the sci-fi horror genre too, which I've never mm-hmm. seen actually. Um, I'm familiar. Oh really? Yeah, I know of it, and I know of like that one line, but yeah. um, I've been seeing quite some time. And the only reason I recall that I did see is because I saw the photos in the in the, in huh. the book. Right. And the, the, I've the second I saw the photos, I'm like, oh, I've totally seen this because yeah. I remember the the alien faces, mm-hmm. and I remember Roddy Roddy Piper. Well, so this let's mention the story is titled Eight O'clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson. So if you want to head out there and find that story, I'm sure you can find it in an anthology someplace. Mm-hmm. I know that it is in Real Future, which is edited by Forrest J. Ackerman. So you can pick it up there. I picked it up, I think, we picked from it up on Amazon. Amazon and Colin, cheap. you got one that was called Real Horror or Real Terror also Real terror. from the library. So I'm sure that wherever you live, there's a library that has an anthology. You can stick that in the show notes too, right? Absolutely, yeah. And so give that a read and watch the movie and send us some feedback on it. We have a email address, feedback at pavementpodcast.com. And I mentioned before social media, we have facebook.com slash pavementpodcast. And on the website, there's places where you can subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the RSS feed for the entire site and find our Facebook, Twitter, Google plus everything. So if you would like to go up there and send us some feedback, you have a very, very good chance of getting something read out on the show on account of nobody else has hit us up with any feedback yet. So, We're desperate for it. Anxious. Please. We're begging. Help us. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yes. Okay. So I think we are done for this edition of Take Me to Your Reader, and we will sign off with the Pavement Pounder's blessing. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the book always fall open to where you left off. Bye. I have to belch before we begin. (laughs) That's disgusting.